welcome back to the Earth on Survival Guide, a podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, game masters, and enthusiasts like myself and Josh. I am Dan. I am Josh. And tonight we are going to talk about all things geographical and one thing quizzical, because we have one email to get to first. But after that email, we are going to dive deep into Carafod geography, because... It just needs some love, and we got to talk about orcs, because it has been way too long since we talked about orcs. Orcs are great. They are, and I have a friend who plays nothing but orcs, so i got to give them as much love as possible, because that's just the way I am. Anyway, so before that, we have one email that came in from a listener who goes by Insaniac99, and nines are just cool, so dig that one right there. Thanks for doing a great podcast. Uh, half of that's Josh, half of that's me. In your episode from Minbruge and Thistonius, you talked about not being sure how a quester of Garland might go too far, except via Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Well, I have a couple of other ideas on how a quester might go too far. First, from the four more traditional aspect of not wanting to see people in pain and healing that pain, you could get helicopter parents or any other overprotective archetype that doesn't allow their charges to be put at risk in the first place. Even being a simple, consistent, nagging worrywart, such as the type of person who might say, don't forget your dwarven winter night cloaks. To which the reply, of course, is, but Quester, it's 90 degrees out, there isn't a cloud in the sky. Might be an example. <clears throat> the second way is similar, but involves the protector of hearth and home angle rather than the healer. A protector can easily be overzealous, whether being overaggressive against even the least hostile threats or even keeping minor threats away. An overzealous protector might, for example, keep Gandalf away from visiting Bilbo in the first place because Gandalf puts Bilbo in quite a bit of harm. One might even see where a twisted view results in keeping D Danae, Perseus's mother, in the brass tower or bronze chamber depending on version. So she might not give birth to the son who is prophesied to kill King Acrisius. Thanks again for the great podcast. I hope this sparks some fun conversation. It's all good. Thoughts, Great Josh? ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, just in reading that, I came across, uh, uh, I was reminded of the movie Everything Everything, where the, if you've never seen it, it's a love story, but the mother of the girl who can't leave the house because she's got this rare disease doesn't actually have this rare disease. Spoiling a movie for you. Oh, oh. Yes. It's just called Everything. Everything. It's just, just once. That's why I was confused because you said it twice. Well, no, I think it's called Everything Everything. I thought it was. Everything, everything. Anyway, that's the name of the book. <clears throat> it's based upon. So that's another way you could do it, where she lost her husband due to a car accident, doesn't want her daughter to leave the house, so makes up this whole made-up syndrome that she actually has. It's a low immune system, therefore can't leave the house, and so forth and so on. That's not what it's called. That's not what it's called? It's not the name of the movie. It's not what the name of the movie is. Then what is it? I swear it was everything, everything. I have it on DVD downstairs. Oh, okay. No, you're right. Okay. You're right. <laughs> You're right. There is a I'm movie not called, often right, it is called Everything. It. No. <laughs> I am thinking of a completely different movie that has a very similar oh, premise that was out more recently. Fair. That I cannot remember the name of now off the top of my head. Gotcha. No, Everything, Everything. You are right. I just looked it up on IMDb. Nope, fair. It was in the last three or four years. So I... Yeah, yeah. It came out in, it came out in 2017. Yeah, I was right. I'm rarely right. There is one that came out more recently that I cannot remember the name of right now, but it involved, oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we will sign off after this is all done, and Josh will remember it with the, the mics turned off. It came out like a couple of months ago, I think. And I'm trying to remember the actress that was in it, because she's awesome. 
who plays the mother in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sitting here scrolling through <laughs> IMDb and I'm not gonna, I don't know. Fair enough. But yeah, so apologies. You are correct about everything, everything. That is not the movie that I was thinking of. I will take my win, though. I will take my win. I get so few wins against Josh. I'll take my win. Wait, 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 wait. I think I know. Hold on. Uh, if you want to vamp <laughs> while I'm looking this up. Well, it's an audio podcast. I'll sit over here and do my happy dance. Nobody can see me. I wonder. I think, I think, I think it's her. Who's the actress? Sarah Paulson. Oh, I love Sarah Paulson. Yes, it is. Okay. The name of the movie that I was thinking ah, of. Ah, here we go. Which, which, which came out in 2020 is called Run. Huh. Okay. Which is a very similar premise. It's about a mother who is keeping the daughter safe. Mm. And it's more of a thriller, whereas I think everything, everything is more of a... It's a love story. Yeah, it's more of a love... Like, everything, everything is probably along the lines of The Fault in Our Stars. You are correct. Like, it's in that genre, which is is fantastic. Like, that's a great genre. But Run is more of a thriller where the mother was keeping the daughter sequestered because of an illness or some sort, and there were darker things going on. What? No. So that's what I was thinking. (laughs) I knew I would would figure, I'm like, I know the actress. Wait, was she in that? And I went and I'm like, yes. Yes. That's who it was. Sarah Paulson, who is- Always wonderful. Who is always wonderful. From her stint on Studio 60 to her stint on American Horror Story. That's what I looked up. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it was the actress yeah. from... She plays She plays um, Nurse Ratched in that Ratched miniseries uh-huh. that's inspired by... Um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. Um, she's been in, like, American Horror Story. She's one of my wife's favorite actresses. Yeah. She's, 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 she's fantastic. Always. Always. And she deserves every award she's ever gotten and will get. So... We digress. However, uh, we had time to fill. So we are going to talk about now. Thank you, by the way, Insomniac99, if I got your name right. Anyway, uh, keep the questions coming. We love them. So if you have your, if you have your own question, feel free to contact us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. We put that everywhere, just about in every single episode. It's on the Earthon Guild. You can find us on Twitter. If you don't know where to find us, you're not looking hard enough. Anyway, so we are going to talk about the geography of maybe taking your campaign and or your player characters into Carafod. And the first thing I want to tell you about the map of Carafod is that really you could just use this map for a whole campaign world and never need anything else because this has literally everything. It has rivers, has the corner of an ocean, it has volcanoes, it has part of Death Sea, it has the Twilight Peaks, it has plains, it has jungles, it has grassland, it has, yeah, what doesn't this map have? It's a little tiny microcosm of Barsave itself. Yeah. I it was just impressed with, wow, this is really, you, you don't really need a secondary map. You can take your party here and leave them here until they hit 15th circle and retire and never need to go anywhere else because... What can't you do in Carafod as far as the terrain is concerned? Okay. As far as the terrain <laughs> is concerned, now I was going to say you can't overthrow the Theron Empire in Carafod. Exactly. However, <laughs> so you can't shatter the Malachite seat into a thousand pieces no, in Carafod. No, but this has the capital city. <laughs> you can't restore Oakheart in Carafod. <laughs> no. Anymore? They're like, there are a bunch of things that you actually can't do in Carafod. Exactly. But Carafod is awesome. Carafod is Because it's full of orcs. Fantastic. And as has been previously mentioned, 
Orcs are great. Yes. Uh, it is 75% populated by orcs. And it even has little spots for windlings that are written about in this massive book, but are not necessarily for uh, obsidian. So the ends of the spectrum are there. But it does have a capital city. It does have uh, the Dolores Mountains to the northwest that are steep and silent. It has rockhorn troll moots on there as well. So you've got neighbors for trolls and troll moots. Uh, you've got mountains to the north and the east and a volcano to the east as well. You've got rivers all around, patches of forest, jungles in the center and the southeast, plains between Vivane and the Greenheart River, and Savannah due to your west. Seriously, yeah, everything is there. You don't need another map. You could put, take this map and put it in any other game you wanted to. <laughs> Especially when you, when you include a little bit of the area around Carafad. Yes. Once you include the Dolores Mountains, the Twilight Peaks, mm-hmm. which are just off to the east there. Yeah. You've got Vivane and Sky Point, depending on what area you're setting it in. Maybe the ruins of Vivane mm-hmm. and Sky Point. Presence of, of the Theron Empire to a greater or lesser extent, because even though their military base at Sky Point is gone in the, the fourth edition yes. sort of official timeline. timeline they are still in Rugaria. They aren't that far from from what's going on. And then uh, while you certainly have plenty of ruins and stuff in the southern jungles, you've also got Ustrecht just on the other side of the pass there between the Dolaris and Twilight Peaks. Yeah. Which is a a the ruined kingdom of the the troll culture from Ustrecht mm-hmm. was there is a is a ruined nation. You've got Landis to the south and the tension along the border between Carafod and Landis, the traditional rivalry between the the orc nation and the human nation. Yeah. There is a lot of potential. There is a lot of fantastic, amazing story potential in Carafod. There is. And there is a whole bunch of different terrain types that you can have there. You're right. Again, you're, you've got Death's Sea nearby. Carafod mm-hmm. kind of edges up against the, the Twilight Peaks in Death's Sea. You go far enough south, you get outside of the lava area and you get down to the water section mm-hmm. that some maps show of of the area known as death sea yeah there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on totally it's really cool it is and uh the i'm gonna have josh wax rhapsodic in this one as well because he is infinitely more knowledgeable and has a much better memory than i do there is just not a lot written about landis no. There's almost nothing written in this book at all. There's uh, nothing written, I think, in the Player's Guide or the Game Master's Guide. You had to go back to the part, to the uh, Sky Point and, Trev- and Vivane box set to find, like, a page. And that's it. There's a yeah. page. I am not 100% sure. I may, uh, this this is sort of like one of my questions for... Lou, I like to remind <laughs> myself whether he whether this was the case or not. Fair. I seem to recall at some point Lou Prosperi mentioning that one of the reasons potentially that Landis never saw a whole lot of development mm-hmm. was because it was sort of intended as an area left more open for game masters to develop on their own. Oh, gotcha. Rather than provide a, a whole bunch of setting book level detail like we got with Thrall, like we got with Parlanth, Parlanth yeah. like we got with Skypoint and Vivane even. Sky, Sky, yeah, Vivane and Skypoint. Mm-hmm. Like we eventually got with Carafod and Kratos. Well, and this, the Crystal Raiders. Yes, talking yes, about yes. sort of the first edition Sorry. era Sorry. of things. I got ahead of you. But also part of the 
development plan for first edition was looking at talking about events. We had like kind of stuff leading up that first phase one mm-hmm. of first edition, which was initially a lot of laying the basic groundwork for bar save as a whole and exploring some of the and, and presenting some of the the stuff that, that was going on there with presenting the Serpent River, yeah. presenting Thrall, presenting the Bar Save box set in general, presenting just some information that fleshed out the details, map. right? That that kind of fills out the map and lead, lays some of the seeds and some of the stuff that leads up to the arrival of the Triumph and the events of Prelude to War, mm-hmm. and then post Prelude to War, the idea being okay, that's our first event, sort of the, the culmination of Phase One to talk in. <laughs> development terms here totally then we get phase two which ultimately would have closed out with bar save at war Mm -hmm. the product that was sort of in outline phase at the time that first edition earth dawn was shut down yeah and the books that were produced between prelude to war and bar save at war Mm -hmm. were ones that yes did continue to fill out the map in a sense but also were important in the story that was being developed. And there's a little bit of back and forth kind of between that, which was, okay, what are areas that we haven't explored yet from a sourcebook standpoint? Mm -hmm. How can we make them important to the ongoing story of what's happening with Bar Save and the lead up to this next big event? Yeah. And obviously, because of the plans, if anybody's seen the outline for Bar Save at War, uh, the original outline that was mm-hmm. out there upon which the Living Room Games version was based and upon which the fourth edition timeline updates were also based to a certain extent. But we have Kara Fod, mm-hmm. who is very important in the military assault on Sky Point. Yes. We've got the trolls and the the airship kind of stuff that goes along with them, the Twilight Peaks, also important because the assistance of the trolls is important on the assault on Triumph. And also on Sky Point, we've got the Dragon's Sourcebook, which does more to explore the continued lurking threat of the Denerastus and setting up both the Dragon's involvement in the war and looking outward a little bit towards what would have been the third phase, which is Thera having been ousted and the Denerastus and the machinations mm-hmm. of the outcast being more prominent in terms of setting development. But yeah. I, I think it was always a kind of situation where Landis was kind of left as an area that was not really developed, both to allow, have an open space on the map for game masters to come up with their own stuff, but also... Yeah. Landis was not something that had been developed as being important in terms of the overarching development of the mm-hmm. setting that was in place at the time. That is yeah, vague recollections of things that that I think Lou might have said in the past. And fair. You know, more thinking about, well, here are reasons why that's going on. I mean, Landis could be made important if you focus resources and attention on it and make it important. Yeah. There is some information right. that's provided on Landis, not a lot in the the Carafod book. It kind of more fleshes out the history of Landis's relationship with Carafod. Doesn't devote that much yeah, to present day, didn't. except for the border conflict Mm-mm. and yeah, the little bits that are found in the Bar Save box set and passing references in in some other places. I have not done 
the reference dive on Landis that I have <laughs> on Europa to sidetrack yeah. here briefly back when I kind of sidetrack. was starting work on the planning for the Europa, Europa source book, which is still in the very early mm-hmm. stages. It was basically going through all of the previously published material and finding all of the references to Europa and pulling them out, collating them together and saying, okay, here's yeah. what this paints as a picture of Europa currently. A big chunk of that was from the first edition mm-hmm. Serpent River book, but there's a whole bunch of other little things elsewhere. I have not done a similar thing for Landis. Yes. I don't know whether the work on Empty Thrones for the Freewater chapter dove too heavily into that. Fair. That's all right. No, I like the fact that Landis is kind of left out because Thrall's ruled by dwarves. The Serpent River's, you know, kind of the territory of the Tuscrang. The Bloodwood is the territory of the elves. And Carafad, therefore, is the territory of the orcs. And then you had the Troll source book for the 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 Crystal Raiders. And so each um race was getting their own those that could was getting their own little section of the map to flush out. Windlings are kind of, you know, a little too sparsely populated as a collective to have their own nation or part of the map. Yeah, windlings don't have the numbers or the population center to really necessitate a full-blown book. I think the largest population of windlings in Barsave is Glenwood Deep. And I don't know that you would necessarily need to devote an entire book to that. <laughs> and Obsidian likewise are no. pretty sparsely populated and they enough. don't have a unified culture the way that Thrall or Carafod mm-hmm. or anything like that yeah. is. Yeah. And even par length is, you know, the kind of the area of the horrors. So they got their own book. Their own box set. So anyway. Uh no, so I like the fact that Carafod got their own source book. It's also a wonderful statement to say that yeah, the former mostly most populous former slaves because you know other races were enslaved but not in quite the same number as the orcs have as we've we've covered on the orcs episode they got to have their own you know calling place they got to have their own meeting and say no we're staking our claim here planted their flag we're going to recreate carafod so they use the old name with the new name and that kind of does something to the pattern of the geography there as well but i like the fact that orcs get their own nation gosh darn it so yeah they get to bring it back so we've covered some of the just like i said the high points of the geography itself but the eight or so tribes that inhabit the central area of carafad main city of claw ridge is their capital city but the eight main ones that are there the borders between where the each tribe ends and and begins change daily (laughs) <laughs> so it's it's one day you're tra- traipsing through there and go, oh, I'm firmly in this territory. No, you're not. Now you're in that territory the next day. It's going to change yeah. no matter what. So I love the fact that it's- A large it's part of that is driven nebulous. by the nomadic nature of the orcs that migrated to Carafad in response to mm-hmm. Seeds of a Nation. I think it's the name of the text that Krathis Gron- You are correct. Wrote- Orcs traditionally, or at least what is sort of presented as the ideal of orc culture when we're talking about orcs, in the same way that we talk about the Highland trolls versus the the Lowlander city trolls, we've got the orc carads, the nomadic tribes, the the horsemen, the cavalrymen uh, of the sort of orc ideal, Mm -hmm. as opposed to orcs that 
live normal lives among other name givers. But the mm-hmm. historical cultural background of orcs as nomadic riders carries over to their establishment in Carafad. Despite some of Krathis Gron's efforts to settle them down, don't want to use the word civilize mm-hmm. them, <laughs> but to, to settle them down Fair. to establish a culture, a capital, a city, society, a place that they can functional society, interact with other name giver nations on an mm-hmm. equal footing. And the territory that is granted to the orcs that followed her, as well as the one tribe of orcs that was there already, at least one tribe of orcs that was there mm-hmm. already, that nomadic yes. nature means that borders are kind of conceptual. <laughs> <laughs> I had the uh, uh, pleasure once upon a time of working with somebody who said that we were building a new company as it was and all the policies we had were carved in jello. So they could fall apart at any time uh, and then be rebuilt because it's Jello. So one of those that's things. That's actually but not really how say, Jello works, but that's fine. I know, but that, that was his phrase to use. I understand I the sentiment. So it's just the metaphor gets away from him a little bit at the end there. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not that's mine. Fine. It was his. But it's still fun to say. It stuck with me for all these years. So let's say you are going to bring your traveling band of adventurers, uh, your, your ne'er-do-wells, into Carafad in hopes of riches and plunder and whatever the hell uh, else you're looking for. Again, 75% populated by orcs. Maybe not the world's best idea. But Carafad has two things you cannot find there. It does not have elemental wood. does not have gold or silver mines. It's mostly yeah. iron. So, a little, little interesting. Certainly as there. a prominent resource, I would expect that it is possible within the southern jungles that art- yeah. artisanal elemental wood could be found. Small nodes that an elementalist or a, a couple of elementalists could use to get true wood. Mm-hmm. But you would not have the yeah. level of the amount that would result in, for lack of a better term, industrial scale elemental wood mining <laughs> you know certainly not yes. like the exports or the potential for elemental wood that you have in say bloodwood or the servos jungle or something like that and that's an interesting question is that something that is because the southern jungles the the woodlands of Carafad are not large enough to provide the mystical gravity that would result in in true wood coming into being compared to Bloodwood or the Servos Jungle, both of which are much, much larger. Is it something yeah. that is perhaps related to its proximity to Death Sea? I am now suddenly. I'm with you. I'm blanking on the. Curious about geography. something. Hold on. I just love the fact that there are two active volcanoes constantly with a flow of, of lava down the slopes into Death Sea. Uh, and it hasn't stopped for, you know, a century or so. And. Both of those peaks you just have the nickname of Death's Eyes, because that's what yeah. orcs would call them. So the majority of at least the introduction to Carafad in the nations of Barsave Carafad is uh imagine there it is. From page twenty seven, I love this little sentence. Okay. Hit me. True wood, proximity to Death's Sea. Very, very high concentration yes. of true fire. You've got the volcanoes and stuff like that. 
I wanted to make sure before I went spouting my mouth out. Mouth off. (laughs) Yeah. In the litany of the elements, fire destroys wood by burning it. That is potentially an explanation for why another theory for perhaps Mm -hmm. why Carafage does not natively have a significant proportion of true wood. Perhaps it is too close to the massive reserve of true fire, the massive elemental fire gravity well that is Death's Sea Mm -hmm. to allow true wood to manifest within its forests and jungles despite their their age and wild status. Yeah, because there's only a narrow – I can't even call it narrow. There's only a river between the mainland of Carafad and the Death's Eyes active volcanoes, which are constantly spewing forth this little trickle of lava to make a new slope every time. So yeah, I imagine maybe if Death's Eyes would stop producing lava, eventually maybe some elemental – some true wood. No, no. Interesting speculation. I'm glad you looked that one up. The initial impression I got from – Carafad in the text here about how it's kind of organized and running is more of the concept, I believe, of a boom town during a gold rush or a land grab, as in everybody got there and then the dust is still settling. So it, it sounds like no one quite knows what's going on. As you said, the borders are all kind of nebulous and indeterminate at all times. My favorite sentence was, imagine a place filled with 100,000 immigrants with no government to speak of, with a desperate need for anything from food to furniture, and no government to leech away the profits. Yeah. So it's just get in there and do what you can. (laughs) A game based in Carafad could potentially Mm -hmm. be a game about nation building, which is to say you've got a very, very young nation that is being founded. Mm Mm-hmm. A return to historically native lands of of the orcs, but they have not actually had a nation for centuries, not only since the Scourge, but during the years of the Scourge and Carafad fell a while before the Scourge. So you've got Mm -hmm. a scattered people who have legends and oral traditions about their homeland, the place where they came from, and are inspired by a culture hero who has been blessed and chosen by the passions, by the gods. Okay. When we're talking like parallels Mm -hmm. here of classical tales and, and mythology, you've got a culture hero that has been chosen and inspired by the gods to lead these people to their homeland they're, they're long forgotten, their long forsaken homeland, and to rebuild. But of course, you've got the attempt to build a nation among a culture that has, for a very, very long time, been organized, organized around and sort of dominated by a tribal structure. And mm-hmm. there is a potentially interesting thematic discussion that can be had there, some interesting ideas that could be explored in terms of what kind of nation is going to be created. Because for the most part, mm-hmm. Bar Save as a broader culture when it comes to large-scale governmental organization mm-hmm. only has so many examples to go by. You've got the legacy of yeah. the Theron Empire, which is obviously not one that is going to be particularly well looked upon by the orcs. 
You've got the Kingdom of Thrall, which, while not a negative influence, is not also going to be particularly is not going to be universally loved or seen as a as, as an aspirational goal for certain members yeah. of of the diaspora orc culture. And then you've got other cities. Basically, you've got mm-hmm. Trevar, you've got Jerus, you've got Europa, you've got Iopos, you've got yeah. the Bloodwood. You've got all of these examples that are all different in their own ways, but also kind of similar in that mm-hmm. none of them have recent history as a nomadic diaspora. Yeah. While Iopos, for example, its founding, its its ancient history in terms of how it came to be was as a result of nomadic tribes that would meet at a particular location frequently. And so a more permanent settlement ended up appearing and it grew from there. And similar kinds of things. I mean, that's kind of how cities came to be to a certain extent from a Mm -hmm. cultural development standpoint. You've got a nation that is being created that has in Claw Ridge in Wurchaz in its capital, Mm -hmm. something that is kind of being modeled off of the existing templates for large settlements, whether that's Thrall or Barter Town or Travar, anything like that, especially where you have a significant portion of the population of that area that are orcs that are coming in from those places, city orcs, as as the the term would be. Yes. And then you've got... Mm -hmm. The rest of Carafod kind of divided up between the more traditional nomadic tribes with their mm-hmm. interpersonal conflicts and rivalries and ideals and so forth. Motivations. The question becomes, what kind of society is going to be built? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the very you're, you're in the, the very if you're- early stages of a new nation that is being created. What are the ideals that they are going to hold to? What are the yeah. aspects of traditional or culture that are going to be maintained? What aspects of other settlements and cultures are going to be adopted? What are the pressures yeah. of other places that will want to do business with them going to be? Mm-hmm. There is actually a... a interesting potential colonialist kind of idea that you could look into. How does a culture that founded itself in a sense by showing up with an army where two other forces were going to fight and saying, no, you're not fighting here. This is our land. Get out. That's the incident at Claw Ridge. That's what happened towards the very tail Mm -hmm. end of the prelude to war sequence of of events where Carafod was founded. Krathis Gran showed up with a whole bunch of orcs and said, hey, this is our land. This is our sovereign territory. Neither of you are welcome mm-hmm. here. Get out. How do they yeah. continue to avoid the pressure that is going to be placed on them by Thrall, you know, this huge economic and political powerhouse within the province with Travar, which is a little bit closer, but also an economic powerhouse. Uh, with the Theron Empire, who are certainly not well-liked, but a powerhouse off to the south. The Theron War and the driving mm-hmm. out of the military might of Thera is certainly something that yeah. changes the perspective of that. What about the, as we 
start to allude to in Empty Thrones with Free Water and the conflict mm-hmm. that's going on there. What about the rising desire for the people in Landis who might want to see themselves unified into a, a larger, more prominent political entity as opposed to continuing to be independent villages and, and so forth operating in this area that was traditionally yeah. a human kingdom. What about the people who were living in Carafad for a while, for generations, uh, and, but didn't happen to be orcs and so were removed from their homelands and exiled in a way? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of potential interesting socio-political commentary and exploration that can be brought in there. Well, and then again, you've got one one primary race, the orcs, who are coming in, as we said, 75% orcs. How much are they going to allow other races to assimilate or maintain their own culture if they decide to live in Carafod as well? So we've got all that going on. All of that aside, lest I <laughs> lest I dissuade anybody from exploring the amazingness that is Carafod. Carafod. If you are not down with massive socio-political explorations, if you're looking for some more traditional stuff, it is also an area that has a lot of ruins and forgotten history. I was just going to say. And areas that you can yep. explore and have more traditional adventures in, forgotten, abandoned cares. There were many, many abandoned, yeah, many cares. Uh, some of them don't even have names anymore. So that's another reason to go traipsing around in there. Some of them do have names that were uh, not breached. There's a, the, the Warchaz Fortress as well, which is, as you said, in the, uh, city of the capital city of Claw Ridge, which is mostly if, and I was trying to people know what things look like because this is all just text and you have this movie in your mind is what things look like. Claw Ridge is mostly just haphazard mosaic styles of buildings and construction Sometimes tents, sometimes wood, sometimes adobe, sometimes brick, you know, kind of go with it as you will. But there is one meeting place in the middle of Claw Ridge called Quick Tree for windlings. All the windlings eventually will meet up in there and hang out for a little while. Maybe not live there, but it's a big freaking tree. It does cause a lot of shade. But yeah, as, as annoying as orcs find windlings in general... I don't mean to make a broad, generalized statement. They still have a whole big tree for windlings there, and that's not too bad either. So we can get into some of the actual individual cities people might actually get into when they do visit Carafod, as instead of just wandering around aimlessly in the wilderness and, and whatnot looking for cares, which, believe me, they can. There's a boatload of cares there. Just on the map itself, the ones that are pointed out are plentiful. But there are... Towns and cities of Mountain's End, which I know it's in, it, in, in and of itself has 41 taverns and 22 inns. There's a huge shrine to Garland there. There is the town of Harvest, which has grain silos 60 feet tall and a newly built water tower. They're working on irrigation there, which is something I've not come across in anything else in all of the writings of Earthdawn. There's the Thunder's Rest, which has 1,500 orcs, mostly belonging to the Broken Fang tribe. So that go there it, it, as you will. Uh, and then Gavosht, the second largest city, mostly run by uh, Rezrux foxes. And it's the only planned city in all of Carafod, which sounds weird. It has straight roads, street signs, 
<laughs> Everything's well laid out on purpose. Otherwise, any other city you go to is going to be just like chaos and like it was planned by somebody who's drunk and riding backwards on a mule. So thoughts, Josh, on, on any of the cities that you want to go to or where, where should they should hit first, maybe, or avoid at all costs? It depends on what you're looking for. <laughs> Claw Ridge is, is probably the best first stopping point because it is the the largest community mm-hmm. and is the one that while haphazard and chaotic from an architectural and urban design standpoint is still probably most familiar as a traditional city or fantasy city at least in that mm-hmm. regard yeah gavasht is probably a decent second one although that one is apt to feel a little bit stranger perhaps because of its planned nature in the otherwise mm-hmm. unruly and haphazard nature of orc communities but it is more <laughs> is a little bit more centrally located in terms of Carafod's geography whereas claw ridge is kind of yeah perched up at the northern end of things kind of a long way from Mm -hmm. the jungles and and the southern border where a lot of the tension and and drama can be found. And well, and not to leave anybody else out, since we mentioned uh, the quick tree where all the windlings kind of congregate in Claw Ridge, there is a Kelpoya Island in the middle of the Locust River, which is mostly inhabited by Tuscrang. So there's a relationship going on there with uh, their neighbors in Carafod, mostly being orcs. There's also the ruins of the original Carafod, which have not been found somewhere in the deep jungle. So that's a possibility to get your team to go there. There's the Black Quarry, which is actually not a quarry itself, but a mining city, which is kind of like New York, the city that never sleeps. It's always got something going on. Nothing ever closes. Mostly Claw Ridge territory as well. There is the Citadel of Turthon, which is cursed by Locust and Dis and their war. Yeah, which... that is a Go ahead, Josh. <laughs> secret to a certain extent. It is a ruin located in the southern jungles. It mm-hmm. has been discovered by uh, Zaras Ice Thought, who yeah. told her father to, to go screw and took a bunch of her loyal followers to Carafod <laughs> um, because her father... <laughs> Bronze Eyes stayed and continued no, to right. honor the contract that his cavalry has with Thrall. And so she went to Carafod mm-hmm. and is looking to make a name for herself and found these ruins and doesn't really know what the ruins are, but it is the site of a yeah. significant battle between the actual passions Dis and Locust. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, has a lot of really weird residual magical energy going on there, which has resulted in some really weird behavior from Zeras uh, and other folks that are exposed to it for any particular length of time. Yes. But you can read about the book. It's it's I don't want to give spoilers away, but it's it's a neat little twist to throw at your party just to go, oh, here's some role-playing. Uh, as an R-O-L-E playing. How good are you with your character in these extremes of emotions and thought processes um, back and forth? So uh, other places to visit are the Bass Town, which is mostly started by humans many, many uh, a while ago and is now yeah. like 3,000 refugees. Depending on what era your game is set in. 
Bass yes. Town is Correct. actually now part of Freewater, the town uh, that's mm-hmm. described in Empty Thrones. Bass Town is yeah. part of what became Freewater. It's that same area. And so a lot of the stuff that relates to Bass Town and the refugees and so forth that's going on with that ties into Freewater and the Has been uh, Long Live the King arc within Empty Thrones. <laughs> Fair. So I'm just here to spur Josh on to update us to fourth edition, which is fine by me. There is also, by the way, the Legion of Damnation, which is uh, amassing at the southern end of Carafod. So that's just fun. Uh, a group of, yeah, nastiness. Uh, there's Carap, which is, yep. again, most Carap of the is the other piece of Freewater. Freewater is the result of cool. Bass Town and Carap coming together to form a single community. Joining together. Gotcha. Uh, and then there is one little wrinkle in all of Carafod, and it's, it's nice burgeoning newness of a country. Uh, there is Grimmise Crossing, where the Therans are amassing and beginning to train an army. Yeah, that is, or is that still something that was, again, remembering <laughs> that the original Carafod book was something that was written yes. towards the end of phase two of right. the, the original right, right, development. Right. Mm-hmm. There was still a significant Theron presence in Vivain province, in yeah. Vivain and the surrounding areas. And the conflict that was brewing between the Theron garrison there and Carafad is something that would have led into Barsavit War and been a significant aspect of things there. In the fourth edition timeline, the official bit of fourth edition where yeah. things are set, that is no longer mm-hmm. a threat. There are still Theron garrisons gotcha. that are found in, in some of the forts a little bit beyond Vivain itself. Yeah. And those play a role in the Long Live the King chapter of Empty Thrones. <laughs> Basically, if you are looking for an update of what the situation sort of is with Carafod, that's yeah. what you want to look at. You want to look at the Long Live the King chapter of Empty Thrones. It lays out, certainly not to the extent that the Carafod source book or various things, but it mm-hmm. does draw on those earlier source books for inspiration as things that are going on and continuing to be an issue in that area. So at least tying things together. Nicely. Tying things together and, and updating yeah. things a little bit. So what's the update, if there is one, on the refuge of uh, Lilasthala? It sounds familiar, but I'm not does it ring immediately. A bell? No, fair. I, it's, I just wanted to bring it up because uh, it's kind of a cool little entry and it's near the Dolores mountains and the locust rivers. And they are a really untrusting and their headman is Gronthan Shorthorns, if that name rings a bell, but they pretty much are not very friendly. They've got archers watching the skies at all time, catapults filled with uh, pepper paste barrels full of arrows all over the town. And they just don't like a lot of visitors there. So one of those things, but again, Places you can go explore with your party and see what they're all about and plenty of NPCs to throw at people. Just a couple things to keep in mind. That's just the geography and the, as Josh put out, the uh, geopolitical movings and shakings of what Carafod is. Let's not forget it has its own set of creatures to be wary of as well. Porcupine snakes, lava frogs, <laughs> the carrot cobras, uh, the Qualtech, the Interlock, the Regric horses, the ghost mushrooms. That's just fun to throw at people. Those are slightly poisonous. And by the way, Carafod, even being a new nation, does accept 
journals from adventurers and adventuring parties, just like they do at the Great Library of Thrall. To the same extent that the Great so, Library does, or do they only are they only interested in things related to Carafod? Mostly in things related to Carafod, but they'll pay you, I think, sixty percent versus uh, what uh, they don't have the because they don't have the same kind of resources. <laughs> I was say, couldn't find the word. They don't quite have the same bankroll. But yeah, that's that's an overview of Carafod. What else you want to throw at? Fascinating. Us? I talked for a long time about some of the really cool, interesting no, that's stuff okay. that you can do with and about and around Carafod. I studied the book and Josh's memory about the the former Bass Town Resistance. Lelastala, I grabbed my book and looked it up real quick. Yes. Is another community on the border <laughs> of exiles and refugees yes. that were kind of kicked out of Carafod and not happy mm-hmm. with the situation. As opposed to being dominantly yeah. human, which is what Bass Town situation is. Um Lelastala is elves and to a lesser extent, trolls. But it's right. a very similar kind of situation. It's just not close enough to Bastown slash Freewater mm-hmm. to be incorporated into be that incorporated. community. They're kind of up towards the the more Theron side, but yeah. they don't like the Therans either. And then yeah. we didn't even get into with the increased trade and development that is happening in Carafod, that makes a happy mm-hmm. target for Crystal Raiders whether from the Twilight Peaks or the Dolores Mountains, either side. And you've got the more violent and bloodthirsty tribes, um, uh, moots of Crystal Raiders on the Carafod border. You've got the Bloodlores there. You've got the the other one who's, again, name I can't remember off the top of my head because they aren't the Bloodlores. They're the other ones. We'll get there when we do the the Crystal Raiders. Yeah, we'll get there. But uh, I love the fact that the map is mostly, I mean, as we said, made for orcs, and this is their new nation. But every other race, aside from maybe dwarves, is well represented in their little tiny pockets of what could be conflict or could be, you know, neighborly in and around Carafod. We just mentioned the trolls. We mentioned the Tuscrang, the, the elves, um, you know, the humans Atlantis. So, yeah, most of those are represented. And even the, the black fangs. The windlings all meet. The only thing that's missing black is fangs. Blood fangs. Blood lores and black fangs. Black fangs. That's right. Yeah, the BL and the sibilance and both of those, I can't imagine why you forget them. So it's okay. I'm I'm with you entirely. The source book for Carafod is a wonderful addition to your game. The map itself is a place to explore. There's oodles of things to do, oodles of um, hazards and conflict to be involved in or avoid take your pick there's plenty of places that are unique enough as far as cities and towns are concerned and communities and it's great yeah like i said great you you could take this map and put it in any other game in any other role-playing game period and just knock yourself out this is its own little box set away from bar save on on its own so uh well done to the to the authors i love the fact that fourth editions updated it a little bit for the empty thrones and the fact that it's still you know in its infancy as far as a nation's concerned it's only been aged uh, 10 more years through the fourth edition so this is a fantastic place if you've not taken your crew there you need to um, my game master many years ago took us down there once. We completely screwed up the entire reason for being there and were chased out and are not welcome back. So <laughs> we, we did not do it 
right. But we might be able to go back uh, again later on when he wants to pick up the mantle of Game Master and take us back there. So I hope he does. I think we have learned a lot from that one. But um, yeah, there is so much to absorb here. It we uh, An hour doesn't even do it justice. So aside from it being great, any further thoughts on no. uh, Carafod? Cool. <laughs> I said what I wanted to. <laughs> Well, we're good. If you have any questions for us about anything else 4th Edition has might have maybe updated for uh, Carafod or anything we glossed over that was your favorite part about it, and we'd love to hear your tales about maybe taking your party into or running your party through something in Carafod and mixing and, and mashing one, it up. One other thing, actually, if you want to, Carafod is, is really fascinating within Earthdawn lore. Because yeah. it is the founding of Carafod, the, the restoral of Carafod is actually a significant plot arc within mm-hmm. the Prelude to War epic. And so yeah. depending on when you are setting your game timeline wise, and again, timeline is malleable for your own game, mm-hmm. whatever, you can shift totally. things around to happen whenever you want. You can, in addition to the whole nation building theme that I talked about for present day Carafod. You can actually have a group be involved in the storylines that lead up to the restoral of Carafod, because it oh, is a, be cool. a significant storyline. The Blades arc, which I have praised on adventure. high, the Blades adventure from first edition, obviously <laughs> would take a little bit of work perhaps to update it yeah. to fourth edition if you wanted to, to run it in that rule set. But the storyline itself also yeah. ties in significantly with Carafod. And the, the mm-hmm. Carafod source book actually talks about Immensely the Blades so. of Carafod, which are the focus of that adventure series, and how they yes. are a, an artifact that would be of great importance to the nation. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that can be done with, with Carafod, past or, past or present, to really involve your yes. group with that, especially if you happen to have a, an orc-heavy group, or your group really likes orcs. Mm-hmm. It's just a lot of cool stuff that can be that can be done there. Yeah, there were a, a thousand ideas thrown into one little source book, and there's so much to play with that should be its own separate little game. Just going to say, right then and there. So if you have any tales of Carafod to send our way, we would love to read them. Uh, maybe you're maybe not on air. Take your pick. We'll do other one you want. So feel free to email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, it is time for you to go plant your flag, build your own nation with your own Good legend. Good night, everybody.